Hello and welcome to the second episode of KCL Diverse Lawyers podcast on LGBTQ plus developments in the legal sphere. I am Stella Miatinen and I'm here with my co-host Corliss Say. Today we have with us Craig Giles, who's a partner at Bird and Bird's London office. Thank you for joining us today, Craig. Would you like to start us off with a quick introduction for our listeners? Yes, yeah, an absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, as you said, my name is Craig Giles. I'm a partner in the media, entertainment and sports group at Bird and Bird based in London. Uh, and I work with a, a range of clients from across uh, the sport and media industries, advising them on commercial contracts, uh, issues uh, on the commercial side of law. Thank you for your introduction. I'm sure our listeners are excited to learn about you as well as the firm. Starting off with a more general question, how did you know that you wanted to pursue a career in commercial law and more specifically at Bird and Bird? Yeah, so I did law at university uh, and it's something I really enjoyed. Uh, and I always thought I wanted to be a solicitor rather than the barrister. Uh, and when I started doing research on firms, what really attracted me to Bird and Bird was they had a sector focused approach. So whilst uh, I'm a commercial lawyer, I'm a commercial lawyer who focuses my efforts on certain sectors, in particular those of sports and media industry. Life thought it was fascinating if you could be a lawyer, but at the same time, really focused in on one of the industries that you love. So you mentioned your experiences on the way towards law through a traditional route in university. With up to 60% of LGBTQ plus graduates who are, quote, out at university going back into the closet when they start work in some form, do you feel your own decision to transition to be open from the beginning saved you adverse impacts on your performance at work? And what made you come out? Yes, I know it can be a really daunting time when you start work and you're moving from a, uh, a student lifestyle to uh, one as a, you know, a professional. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's quite a large stat, though, isn't it, that 60% figure? Uh, and I think firms across the board have to do far more to make sure that people feel you know, included from day one, and able to be their full selves at work. Uh, I think firms are coming on leaps and bounds in doing that. I know on our, on our graduate recruitment panel, uh, and you know, a number of questions I get from a range of applicants is, you know, what procedures do we have in place and uh, what groups and networks do we have in place to make people uh, feel that uh, you know, they're absolutely welcome to be their full sales at work. And they are specifically about LGBT programs uh, and some of our networks there. I think the more firms they do about that, you know, the absolute better. I think it is something that they're turning their minds to far more uh, and absolutely rightly so. I think it's very important that these inclusion networks are being celebrated and promoted within the firm. As like you said, I can imagine them really helping individuals ease into the workplace. Touching on your own experience as a queer lawyer in a commercial space, do you recall any instances where you've perhaps felt different to the people you're surrounded by? I think I've had a very fortunate experience, actually. Uh, I think Bird and Bird's always been very accommodating. Uh, as I said, you know, I started out being uh, out when I was first joined the firm. Uh, and I don't think, you know, it's raised any eyebrows of anyone and anyone's treated me any differently as a result. Uh, so, you know, I do feel very fortunate about that. Uh, I said, you know, as uh, time's gone by, I think it is something that firms are looking a lot more. Uh, and now we have a, uh, a network for our LGBT uh, colleagues and also their allies called Stand Out. Uh, and that serves to, you know, help everyone know that uh, there is a network there that's there to support them from day one whether or not they're a lawyer in any of our support staff, whatever it may be. So I think it's that sort of network and that sort of support that really does help people from day one as well. Perhaps building on this idea of a network within a firm into more of a general sphere, you mentioned your experiences working in sports media. Given that these two fields have, you know, sometimes been renowned for homophobic or anti-LGBTQ sentiment, 
for example, with the UK Rugby World, um, Gareth Thomas, a gay player coming out as HIV uh, positive last year and receiving you know, both support but also incredible backlash. Do you feel that stigma against the LGBTQ plus community, especially in regards to sexual or even mental health, as perpetuated across the media or within professions such as sport, do pose an important block for counting prejudices? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, I know obviously Gareth Thomas reports on having, you know, a lot of uh, adverse comments. Uh, so did Nigel Owens, who's uh, one of the out referees in rugby. Uh, so obviously, you know, sport does have a long way to go. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's some fantastic programmes being put in place uh, to combat all forms of discrimination. You know, if you look at something like in sport, you see the Rainbow Laces campaign uh, and, you know, lots of similar initiatives, whether or not that stamp out racism campaigns, or whatever it may be, to tackle any sort of discrimination uh, in sport. So uh, I think those programmes are garnering a lot of attention uh, and they're brilliant, you know, first steps to put in place. There is obviously, you know, a long road to go along uh, and everyone needs to keep up those sorts of initiatives but it's really heartening to see the level of uptake i think both in you know club level sports and in professional sports make sure you know, people do tackle any form of discrimination it's very cool that you seem to have witnessed some of the evolution and attitudes regarding discrimination in the sporting industry you mentioned that diversity is an area that's being particularly focused on right now and i think that's actually true across a wide range of industries within the legal industry in particular would you say DNI is now something that clients look for when considering whether to onboard a firm? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's something we're increasingly seeing from clients across the board. Uh, a lot of whom are saying that actually what we want to do is make sure we appoint a law firm uh, who reflects what our firm looks like as well. You know, we want to have people who you know look like us, sound like us. Uh, and we don't want, you know, a bunch of homogenous individuals uh, who don't have any sort of diversity about them. And we're finding, you know, a lot of pitches we go to, People are asking questions about diversity. Uh, you know, they're asking exactly what we are doing uh, to support our LB, LB, LGBT colleagues. Uh, you know, what we do in terms of uh, making sure that uh, our female colleagues are valued and promoted. Uh, so it's something that's increasingly important to clients and hence increasingly important to law firms as well. You mentioned this overlap between not only LGBTQ incentives, but also the importance of others, such as groups for women or POC. Are these initiatives something which should have as much overlap as possible in their goals of developing diversity? Or are these distinct and thus require separation to avoid perhaps marginalising groups within one experience? Uh, I think it's really good to have as much overlap as possible, actually, and to make sure everyone feels supported. Uh, obviously, people fit in, you know, potentially more than one of uh, the different networks and different categories. Uh, so, you know, the more we can do to work together to help foster uh, diversity, inclusion uh, and, you know, general acceptance in the workplace, the better. And I know that uh, our standout uh, network at Bird and Bird cooperates very closely with uh, our main network called Embrace and put on joint events together, which are always very successful. So I think that's a brilliant way ahead. That's great that there are so many events which can cater to so many different groups. Are there any specific examples of these kind of events which come to mind? Yeah, so it's things like sometimes we do joint podcasts, uh, joint programmes as well and social events. Uh, so, you know, incorporating on things like whether it's uh, LGBTQ History Month, Black History Month, uh, and making sure that, you know, everyone's aware of the links between discrimination in different ways and how everyone can work together to combat them. It's definitely great to hear that intersectionality is also something that's being addressed increasingly. I think education is a theme that's crucial in this area, as we've seen, especially in recent times, that conversations about discrimination are constantly evolving. 
How does Burden Bird ensure that these new important conversations continue to take place? That's great. We've just had, uh, in order to celebrate LGBTQ History Month, uh, a range of cultural uh, events. Uh, so every Friday, uh, there was uh, each different week, we had uh, a different piece of literature or uh, podcasts or potentially, you know, an artist uh, and our standout network net, uh, email details around that around the entire of our London office and everyone from the London office, whether part of the network or not, were invited to take part in the discussion on a Friday morning. Some of the issues raised by that. I think that was a fantastic initiative uh, in order to have, you know, uh, LGBTQ issues raised to a wider audience and then to be, you know, discussed in an open and honest way with everyone. So uh, that sort of initiative, I think, is brilliant. And I suppose taking a step back and looking at the LGBTQ plus community as a whole, beyond you know the legal sector and how that can be implemented to raise these diversity quotas, what are some key legal issues in England or otherwise that you feel should be tackled? And how have these uh, come to light in your own experience? Yeah, so I think uh, the first issue that probably springs to mind in my own personal view uh, is making sure that uh, there's no form of discrimination in our schools making sure that you know children of all ages uh, are able to learn about different uh, ways of life different lifestyles lgbtq issues uh, and they're not prohibited from doing so that's my own personal view but you know that's one thing i'd like to tackle uh, and make sure it's absolutely you know accepted uh, through schools throughout our country education i think is definitely a key aspect to developing acceptance in both children and adults Perhaps this is directed more so towards education in schools, but do you think that Parliament has a role to play in this progression? So I don't think we necessarily need legislation to do that. But, uh, you know, I think that's something that's happened naturally in our schools at the moment. Uh, and what I certainly wouldn't want to do is, uh, you know, see roadblocks put in place of that. And linking back to Corliss's question about um, legislation, with the recent um, petitions put forward almost on a grassroots level, um, by individuals advocating against um, conversion therapy in the UK, which have now been brought up to parliamentary debate. Um, why do you feel like, uh, or do you agree with the fact that um, perhaps more grassroots um, activism is happening rather than a top-down approach with legislation being passed by the parliament? And why do you think that is? Yes, I think it's a question of priorities a lot of the time and awareness. And what grassroots can really do is you know, bring issues such as that to the awareness of the public and create a groundswell of support uh, that turns the politicians' eyes to it and away from other things which they uh, were preoccupied with, perhaps. Uh, so that's probably why the grassroots uh, initiatives, you know, the most important uh, driving force there at the moment. Uh, but I think it's great that that sort of issue is getting so much public attention and so much support. Do you feel like there should be more legislation put forward by Parliament or like you, uh, you touched on the fact that perhaps, uh, you know, priorities and also understanding even can be lacking sometimes in some of the officials who would be passing this legislation. Do you feel that um, this can be solved by in integrating more LGBTQ individuals into Parliament or by working and focusing on those grassroots, move grassroots movements for now? Yeah, I think it's going to be a combination of both, hasn't it, really? So, you know, I think the grassroots has got a fantastic role to play. But I think we all want our representatives to be more diverse as well and to be more reflective of society. So, uh, you know, hopefully the two will go hand in hand. Taking us back to the legal industry, I think diversity and inclusion can nowadays quite often become a box-ticking exercise. How does the firm then strike a balance between achieving their diversity goals and, I suppose, ticking boxes, but also introducing initiatives that genuinely empower the queer community? 
I think the first thing you've got to do is listen to people uh, and understand their points of views and really get a, you know, a good view from across the firm about how people feel supported, uh, you know, and that's not just people from the LGBTQ community, you know, so from across the firm, making sure that, you know, are we actually putting diversity and inclusion uh, at one of the forefront of what we do? Uh, and I think that's the best way to get to change, to make sure you listen to all voices. And to conclude, what's one thing that you wish you had known when you began your career? Ah, that's an interesting one. Uh, I think the most important thing is just to be true to yourself. And if you are true to yourself and uh, if you have confidence in yourself, that actually there aren't quite as many obstacles in front of you as you may think. Mm. I think that's uh, a very strong and uh, agreeable sentiment to, mm. to end our podcast on. Uh, thank you so much for coming to speak to us today, Craig. And, uh, it's a pleasure. We'll enjoy thank you very much indeed. Great to speak to you.